Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Coach, you, you, uh, you, you had an easy time there with Savannah State. And there's a lot of talk uh, the last few days, I guess, on, on some of the shows about uh, teams. Uh, Ohio State played Florida International. I know they won big as well. But uh, just from your perspective, what do, you, what do you get out of these games as a program, and, and do you think this is okay for college football? Well, I, I don't think it's okay moving forward. I, I really don't. I, I think what we do have to do is, is you know, have uniform, un, uniformity in, uh, in scheduling, guys. I mean, there's... Everybody's working, you know, however many conferences, eight conferences uh, are really working on, uh, on on different parameters, and it makes it hard. Right. So when they added when they added the 12th game, you know, everybody went searching for you know all the FCS teams to play, you know, and uh, this way, you know, uh, you know the theory behind that is to uh, schedule a home game that you don't have to return. Okay, so that's one and two. That's right. A home game you don't have to return. Uh, and, and clearly, the, the theory there is to schedule an FCS team so that you know you're you're extending the season and and uh, not beating uh, your team up as much. But the reality of it is, is you know seven seven uh, seven or more you know uh, uh, BCS teams or, or, or uh, FBS teams lost to FCS teams this year. So it's yeah. it's a it's, it's a tricky uh, proposition. But the reality is, there's no uniformity uh, between the conferences, and you know, in, in terms of the uh, NCAA. But I would be in favor, and I said this, and I'm going to keep saying it. I would be in favor of uh, going back to 11 games, starting a week early, make every single game count, every single game. Right. You know, uh, uh, have a rating system, kind of like uh, basketball does. What, what do they call that? The uh, RPI. Or RPI. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has has a little pressure on them to schedule uh, those those those. Eleven games, or you know, let's say it's twelve games, or whatever it is. Sure. But the re- but the reality of it is, we can get this thing done, you know, before Thanksgiving uh, or around Thanksgiving, and then uh, and then from there, let's let's go to a playoff, you know, and, and so that every game, every single game during the season, there's no reset button for anybody. Nobody can say, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll get back to the, the championship game, and, and then we'll then we'll play our way into you know from there. No, I mean every every single game. Is going to determine if you get to the tournament number one and number two is if you get seated, you know where you get seated. So, I would I would love to see us do that because uh, although seven of the FCS teams are eight, eight of them, and uh, I know they're excited, I know they have budgets and everything. Uh, we have to be careful, well, you know, in terms of the product moving forward. Protecting the product of Miami football and protecting college football in general. That was Miami coach Al Golden talking Tuesday amid a lot of debate over the worthiness of Miami's game Saturday night at Sun Life Stadium against Savannah State and about cupcake games in general in college football. We've gone back and forth on the subject in animated fashion the past three days on the message boards at canesport.com. That debate will rage on tonight. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to a new edition of Canesport Live. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, and we're once again getting ready to embark on the fastest two hours in Hurricane Sports. As always, this is your show, and it's going to be driven by your participation. We're going to start out talking about that cupcake game debate and other issues pertaining to Hurricane football with open phone lines. And then later, after rave reviews from last week's show, we're going to bring back Rivals.com recruiting analyst Keenan Codrington, who's going to rejoin us on Canesport Live and talk a little bit more about recruiting and how developments are impacting the Hurricanes. And then we're going to get back to more Hurricane talk all the way up until 10 o'clock. 
So we welcome everybody to call in and participate in the show. As always, the call-in number is 646-595-2048. That's 646-595-2048. We have 50 open phone lines, so there's plenty of room for everybody to call in and participate in the show. Over the past two days, as always, we asked Canesport.com subscribers to identify some of the topics that they would like here to hear discussed on tonight's show. Here are some of the things they came up with. What does Al Golden tell his team to keep them focused on South Florida and not looking ahead to that big game coming up next week against Georgia Tech? Is it time to open up the offense and start practicing the real Miami offense for 2013 with the big games in the ACC looming ahead? What has yet to be unveiled by new offensive coordinator James Coley? What's up with the quarterback depth chart when you factor in the development of Ryan Williams? Has his play, when given the opportunity this year, made him the favorite to be the starter next season? And what does his development say about the coaching abilities of new offensive coordinator James Coley? What's up with Al Golden calling out freshman Kevin Olson this week, saying that Kevin needs to work harder and not waste this year of development? How much were they counting on Kevin Olson to move his game forward and compete with Ryan Williams in the spring for that starting job in 2014? What's behind Philip Dorsett's slow start? Is there anything to that? And why does it seem like the offensive linemen are playing musical chairs all the time, switching back and forth between positions? Is that impacting the line's rhythm and cohesiveness as well as their performance? You know I always talk about impact players. Well, folks are asking me, who do I think are emerging as impact players on this team three games into the season? We'll take a look through the depth chart. There's been so much talk about Duke Johnson's durability this season with some of the different hits that he's been taking in all three games. With the way the backup running backs have been playing lately, are they ready to take on more of a load? We'll talk about that tonight. And what about Gus Edwards and that big performance against Savannah State? How much more playing time did that earn Gus? Have there been any NCAA sightings lately? We're days away from October and still no verdict from the NCAA. Will the team buses get police escorts all the way to Tampa on Friday as the Hurricanes choose the bus to this game as opposed to fly for logistical reasons? It just makes more sense to just get in the bus one time as opposed to going to the airport, getting on an airplane, getting on buses on both ends, and going to the hotel. This way they just get on a bus one time and go straight to Tampa. With two of the first three games against inferior competition, what do we really know about this team as we sit here tonight? What is the biggest weakness now with the defense showing so much improvement? Which conference foe should people most be, be most worried about? Is it Florida State? Is it Georgia Tech? Virginia Tech? North Carolina? We could talk a little bit more about that tonight. Again, the phone number to call in, 646-595-2048. That's 646 646- Five nine five two zero four eight. But first, before we get to your phone calls, um, let's start out with that subject that I spoke about at the beginning of the show on cupcake cupcake games. And I welcome everybody listening to call in and give your opinions on this matter. Um, you know that I wrote a column about it on Canesport.com. Those of you that are subscribers to the website, and I took a very clear stand on this, and I basically said that there is absolutely no point to playing games like that in college football. Now, let me just clear one thing up. Some people took that to mean that I was being critical of Miami Athletic Director Blake James or or Miami in general, and that is absolutely not the case. 
Miami was going to buy a football game one way or the other on for this past Saturday. Okay, and they had to go through the shopping list of teams available. And Savannah State volunteered basically to take that spot at a bargain basement price of $375,000. Now, just to put that in perspective for some of you guys out there, you know, teams are fetching 800, 900 million dollars for these games these days. You know, programs even like FAU and FIU because they're Division 1, they com- they can command an even bigger price than a 1AA school like Savannah State. So, you know, you know how money conscious the Miami Athletic Department always is. And I think that what happened was when Memphis requested to come off the schedule and they were left with an opening, that that Savannah State for $375,000 price became very appealing and they decided to do that deal. Um, my guess is now they regret it. I mean, I thought that that game the other night, um, even though, you know, it was kind of fun seeing some of those big plays and scoring every two seconds. I mean, Miami could have scored 100 points in that game. Let's be honest. There there was no competition whatsoever. That was probably the worst team to maybe ever play the Hurricanes. The 77 points that Miami scored is a school record that had been sitting there in existence since 1950s. Okay? Um, so... I don't think there's any question that Savannah State was absolutely no competition whatsoever for Miami in that ball game, and that it was in a sense it was a little bit of a farce in terms of college football. Um, there's a no mercy rule in college football. Um, Coach Ernest Williams Wilson III could have gone in cohesion with Al Golden, and they could have had a running clock in the second half or something like that. You saw Miami run out the clock in the second quarter and turn down a chance to score more points while they worked through that issue with Coach Wilson at halftime. And Coach Golden spoke to Coach Wilson during the intermission. But Coach Wilson did not want to go to a running clock. He wanted to teach his team to fight, hoping that that will pay dividends down the road. So they really didn't do anything until the fourth quarter when they decided to go to a 12-minute quarter instead of a 15-minute quarter. And, you know, I think you saw the clock moving a little bit, you know, uh, pretty fast in, in that quarter to try to get the game out of the way with Miami only having 77 points. On the board, but I say this put an enormous amount of pressure on Al Golden because a you don't want to give the appearance that you're a bad sport and that you're running up the score. You don't want to get your players injured. Uh, you're constantly shuttling guys in and out of the game, and and you don't really have a great feel for who's in the game and who knows what. And you're trying to get calls in. You saw when Savannah State scored that touchdown, they didn't have the call in, and nobody on defense was ready to play when the ball was snapped, and Savannah State got a quick touchdown. So. There was all these like little sideshows going on uh, within the football game. But I ask, and again, I welcome everybody to call in and weigh in on this subject, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. But what I ask is, you know, wouldn't it be so much better to have a rule that says teams can't play more than six home games and force Division One teams to schedule six home six away, play only against other Division One teams and rid college football of this nonsense. You know, I ask, you know, I spoke about how unfair it was to the Savannah State players who were so totally physically overmatched in that game and, and basically are being prostituted out uh, for a payday for their athletic department to, you know, to go out and take a mauling like that. Is that fair to them? You know, what about the Hurricane players and potential injuries in such a meaningless uh, game? 
You know, Herb Waters and Stephen Morris both had scary moments in the first quarter alone the other night, and Duke Johnson also took some big hits. Now, to me, it doesn't matter how lopsided a football game is. There's still going to be about 120 plays or more of intense contact where players are exposed to injury. And then I asked, what about the fans? You know, those of you guys out there that are spending money to, to buy tickets and, you know, for these home games. And, you know, I'm a Miami Heat season ticket holder, and I know how annoyed I am when they give me three exhibition games at full price before the regular season starts. And I got to sit there and pay full price for garbage basketball where LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh most of the time are barely even playing. Um, I never think that's very fair. Well, how fair was it the other night for you know to pay full price for a lopsided game like that? And I'm not just, again, talking about Miami. I'm talking about this problem all over the country in college football. Ohio State had a game like that this week. Um, you know, you could include Louisville's victory over Florida International, but at least FIU is a Division One team. They may stink right now due to you know just the insane moves of Athletic Director Pete Garcia, who's now destroyed two football programs in South Florida um, by being a little bit gun happy firing people. Uh, but that's another subject. Um, but at least FIU was a Division One opponent. So so many issues, so many different ways to break it down. Again, I welcome your phone calls. I want to hear what you have to say about it. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Let's go out to the 770 for our first call tonight. You are now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, what's going on, Gary? How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's Steven 37. All right, Steven. You know what? I, I didn't like the, I didn't like us scheduling that game, but you know, I look at it like this. You didn't hear ESPN whining about it last year when everybody else was running up the score. It seems like to me the minute Miami get a 77-point game, now they want to stop. You shouldn't play all these games. Look, Oregon did it the first game of the year. They played Nicholas State. LSU got three or four games like that, Foreman, Kent State, UAB. But the minute Miami go run up the score on somebody, everybody's in an uproar. You know, so, you know, I don't think Golden should feel bad about nothing. He shouldn't care about what they say because those people, they're hypocrites. You know, the same thing like what's going on with Penn State, getting off today. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Anytime Miami do something, they want to they wanna go crazy and get in an uproar. And ESPN is, I don't know, man. I guess I have to watch them. If I didn't, you know, I'd be done with those those clowns up there. But yeah, I don't think we. About, go ahead. I was going to say I don't think any of us can live without ESPN anymore. But um, you know, I think you're misunderstanding what they were saying. I, I don't think they were singling out Miami, um, so to yeah. speak. I think I think they were commenting on the issue itself, and and it's a legit yeah. issue. And I went through all the reasons yeah. why here at the beginning of the show. Yeah, but I get that, Gary. But why they they've been this been going on? Not this was going on last year. They should have made an issue last year. Well, yeah, but but I think it's gotten worse. It, it, Stephen, it's gotten worse the last couple of years because when they went to 12 home games, um, I, I think that that inspired athletic directors to go scrambling for, for these so-called cupcake games like this, and it's become a bigger problem the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I get that, but they should have said something last week. Somebody scored 92 points last week. Oregon scored 66 the, the first week, first game of the year. When that said, all they said was how great Oregon offense was. And all day Saturday, before Miami played and scored um, 77, 
how egregious it was that they was playing FAMU. All they talked about in all the highlights was how they did this and they scored 76 and the quarterback setting records. Then after we come up to score out 77, the next morning everybody's in an uproar. They can put that in a pipe and smoke it. But we need to just keep playing our schedule, keep our goal to keep scoring points, let those kids have fun, and don't worry about the outside. That's now, let me ask you a question. Um, Stephen, let me ask you a question. Um, you live in the 7 and 7 0. Is, is, is that Georgia? Yeah, but I grew up in Miami. Okay. I graduated from Miami South Ridge. Okay, so you're from Miami. You live in Georgia. Now, how many home games a year do you come down for? I just left the Florida game. I'm a season ticket holder. I brought season tickets last year. My friend got my season tickets. My cousin from Raleigh, North Carolina, I talked them into buying season tickets. We we attended the Florida home game, and um, my partner Mike, who lives there, who works for the county, he got the tickets, and he takes somebody with our two tickets to every game. And when I come back home, if I make it down, because I might come home and go to the 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 Green Bay and the Fantasy Fest and um, Key Key West, so I check out a game that weekend if I make it back down there. But if not, Fantasy Fest. I go to the Goomba Independence Fest. Me and all my family go down there. We got cousins living in Key West, too. So uh-huh. we're going to have a good time. And, you know, I check out a game. I caught two games last year. And my friend took um, he took people, somebody in my place, to the other game. So now he got he got two extra set of season tickets plus his. So that's three people going to the game. All right. Now, why, why wasn't Savannah State one of the games you chose to come down for? Why? Because I can't I, – I, I, Florida was the biggest game, home game to me, you know. I, last year I came to Florida State and, 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 and um, I came to Florida State and Virginia Tech. You know right, if well, I was there, my friend went to the game. If I was home, I would have went to the game. But I ain't coming from I, Atlanta. But... <laughs> so Atlanta State. Come on, Gary, you know better right, than that. That's my point. That's my point. And – you know, you look at that stadium the other night, and just take a – I don't know if you if you could find – somebody put it on YouTube today, a, a replay of the – a condensed replay of the game um, on YouTube. And you look at that opening picture where, they, where, the, where ESPN3 signs on, and you're back to seeing all kinds of empty orange seats in Sun Life Stadium again. And, you know – that Florida day was so magical for this program, and I think it, it was proven without question that Sun Life Stadium can be a college stadium, and you can have a college atmosphere in that building. And you know, to go from that back to this and, and see all those empty seats and all the fans that stayed home, the student section was three-quarters empty. The kids didn't even bother coming from campus to go to this game. And you know what? What's the point? I asked what's the point? President, that's the president's fault. Why? She she buys buses for all those kids. Not the president, not the president, the athletic director. Who who scheduled those games? Who's in charge of – I don't even blame the athletic director. I I blame the system. It's the system that is is a proponent for these types of games because there's no mandates what you do with with, with with that 12th game. Gary knows. Can, can I can I talk to you for a second? Absolutely. Doesn't Miami, doesn't, doesn't Miami Athletic Director already know we struggle 
to put fans in the seat on some yeah. game, on some cover. Why would you do that? He know better than that. He just say we can't do that. And then he had the audacity, you know, to talk about they want to keep doing that. They don't want to schedule. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago about turning down LSU. But I wouldn't have took that game at no neutral site. But if they offer to play a home and home, I'd rather take a loss for that game for the fans to have a good game than to do something like they did with Savannah State. Hello? No, I'm always for the I'm always for the fans having a good game. I think that's what this is all about. I, I think college football is entertainment. I think the U is one of the greatest brands in college sports, and I think it's all about entertaining the fans. And I just don't believe that that was entertaining on Saturday night. I mean, that was an absolute slaughtering, and, and I felt bad for those kids on the other sideline. I mean, those kids were prostituted by their school. To come out there and and get mauled so that they could put three hundred seventy five thousand dollars in in the athletic department. I, I don't. I didn't see them get mauled so much. They were like mauled. Getting, mauled. They were absolutely. Mauled. They were playing some hits. They made some hits on our players. <laughs> hey, you want to laugh, Stephen? You no, want to really? Get, you want to get a good laugh? Go online and find the highlight. You, um, you can go. Um, the ACC Digital Network clipped it. Okay, you can find the highlight just of Stacy Coley's kickoff return. I mean, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I mean, he goes and runs. I think what was it? It was 85 yards, I believe. Uh-huh. I, I'm not sure that there was more than one Savannah State guy that ever got into the picture. I mean, it, hey, it was like a, it was hey, like a know, skeleton drill. You know what? Though I was at I was at this bar. They got a new bar up here in Atlanta uh, called the Big Kahuna. It's a King Sports Bar. It's a guy, the guy who owns it. He's a big King fan, and he reached uh-huh. out to the, um, the Miami Boosters. So now we got two, uh, we got two places to watch the Kings game, and it's downtown at 303 Peachtree Center for any Kings fans listening. And it was, it's a nice, it's a nice joint in the SunTrust, the SunTrust Plaza in downtown. That's where I watch some of the games at. And it was a lot of you, you alumni go there to watch the game. I guess it was a lot of them up there. A lot of old-timers up in there, man. Some of the folks were 60, 60 plus years old, but we enjoyed the game. Nothing but nothing but you want fans. But, uh, yeah, but back to back to the Savannah State, I've seen, you know, I've seen what was happening, but we really didn't, we really wasn't, let, you know, it wasn't like we was hurting them or, or, you know, they were taking a real punishment. They just couldn't tackle them, and they couldn't they, stop us from scoring. They couldn't do anything. Okay, they could not do anything. But, but anyway, um, Stephen, did you have anything else? Else? Did you have anything else you wanted I'm, to talk about tonight? Yeah, I, I have. Um, we need to um, run our fullback more. I would like to see our fullback more, and I would like to see our tight end stop running that that slot receiver route and go straight up the middle of the field like we used to send them to clear out the linebackers, man. You know? Oh, you're gonna see. I promise you, you'll see that this year. And I want to you gotta have a little patience. Have a little patience. I think Coach I, Coach Coley's trying to keep this uh, passing game a little under wraps. I think that's what I've been thinking. You know, I, I, I oh, there's no I, question I, about it. There's I no question about it. I, sometimes I think he's just holding it, holding it, holding it, and he's gonna release it. But that, that's what I've been thinking for the last four five years, especially about that offensive line. You know, I think every year we're gonna be the best because we got the we got the size and. We're supposed to come out and be the best, 
So I, I would like to see us open up more holes, you know, where Duke could get four, five, eight yards a pop instead of, you know, like Duke break off a, a 50 or 40-yarder and then they're killing them at certain times. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I'll say this. I, I think you've seen maybe 10% of the offense so far. I, I, I really do. I, I think that there, there's so much more – uh, left in the bank, so to speak, and and you know when you look at the way the schedule sets up, you, you've got a game at South Florida this weekend. Miami has a lot yeah. of respect. Um, they have a lot of respect for the South Florida defense, and I think you're going to see a little bit more offense this week, depending on how the game yeah. goes. But there's no question, you got a five week stretch in which you play Georgia uh-huh. Tech, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. That five week stretch beginning with October 5th and running for the first, uh, second weekend in November is going to determine the fate of this season. And I think the game slowly yeah. has got that offense, you know, stacked up and locked and loaded for that five-week stretch, and I think that's when you're really going to see things open up. That's great. That's great. Well, keep me on, put me on live because I'm going to listen on my phone. Just put me right, on hold. I'm going to listen to you on my phone. All right, we'll nice do talk that. to you here. We'll put you on hold, and, uh, and and thanks again for calling. Hey, that was Stephen from the uh, 770. Always opinionated. I uh, love when he calls the show. We have open phone lines for anybody else that would like to weigh in on this subject or any other. It's 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048 is the number. And um, why don't we start diving in right now to some of those topics that we talked about. And then I've got one of my own at some point in the show tonight that I'm going to add in, um, which pertains to Dion Bush and, and, and what's up with, with Dion Bush. And, you know, we're now going into the fourth game of the year and, and Dion got his first playing time uh, on Saturday against Savannah state. And I don't know what anybody else thought or how much anybody else was looking at him. Uh, but I didn't think he looked really good. And I thought he looked really timid and it looked like he was lacking confidence in his uh, physical uh, condition, I guess I'll call it. And um, he didn't look to me like somebody that's going to be remotely close to ready anytime really, really soon to make a big contribution when the game's on the line to this Miami defense. And um, then after speaking to Dion Bush today, I a conversation that I would only term to be probably, I guess the best word I can use is startling. I'm even more convinced of it. So I'm going to play that conversation for you guys in a little bit, I might wait. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see how the flow with phone calls go and, and stuff. But I'm going to play that conversation with Dion Bush for you in tonight's show, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit more about you know where he stands, and you know maybe some of you will want to weigh in on what you think. But let me start with um, some of the topics that some of our subscribers on Canesport.com brought up when we asked on the message boards what they would like to hear us talk about on today's show. And um, I'm going to start with what does Al Golden tell his team to keep them focused on USF and not looking ahead to Georgia Tech? And and here's what I'm going to tell you on on this one. Um, And I even got a soundbite of Al Golden talking about it himself. Um, They have a great deal of respect for USF. You'll remember the last time Miami went to Tampa, uh, they only won by three on a last-second field goal. And last year's game got a little out of hand due to some different circumstances that Miami felt very fortunate about 
And you'll remember that USF was the team that ended Randy Shannon's coaching career at Miami with that victory in Sun Life Stadium. So there is nobody at UM football headquarters that's taken this game for granted, much less Al Golden. And he's reminded his team of that. And then he's shown them video clips of some of the quality talent that he feels that USF has on their roster. And he's hoping that the combination of all of the above keeps his team ready to go in this ball game. So um, before we comment any further on it, um, I'm going to play you Al Golden's thoughts on USF. And in the meantime, feel free to call in at 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Here's Al Golden talking about Saturday's game against South Florida. When you play USF this weekend, Willie Taggart's team off to a bit of a rough start this season. Uh, how do you keep your team focused and, and not looking ahead? Because you got Georgia Tech starting off the ACC next week. Uh, how do you keep them focused on a, on a team that uh, that's struggling a little bit right now? Well, I think how you keep them focused is you, is you turn the tape on. Okay, so the one thing that uh, USF can control and improve on markedly, I mean dramatically and quickly, is turning the ball over. So I have no doubt that Coach and the team have been working on that over the last two weeks. And if they do that, go ahead and look at that defense. Look at that front seven and uh, the havoc that they're causing and, and the veterans that they have on that. You know, you talk about Giddens, Sager, Elpino Watson, uh, Mims uh, is another guy, uh, Lattimore, uh, Cliet. All, all those guys are veterans and have played a lot of football and are really good football players. Um, throw, out the, throw out the McNeese game, which you know we all know was you know er, you know there was errors in that that led to that result. Sure. But who's scoring on them? You know, so what a great challenge on that side. On the other side, we don't. On the offensive side, we don't know you know who the quarterback's going to be. Uh, we 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 know Marcus Shaw has got big play potential at tailback. Mm-hmm. They Sean Price at tight end. Uh, Andre Davis uh, on on the perimeter in terms of uh, you know his length and his ball skills and his ability to get down the field. So. Look, we know exactly what we're com- what we're getting ourselves into uh, Saturday at noon, and uh, we had a good practice yesterday. We have great focus right now. We're going to have to uh, because uh, you know these rival games, and whether it's uh, us in FAU, us in uh, USF, us us in uh, Florida State, doesn't matter. If you're playing one of these games, you know what kind of game it is, and uh, we got to make sure our guys are focused on uh, on USF and nothing else. That was Al Golden talking about Saturday's game against USF and. The subject being, how is he keeping his team focused and not looking ahead to Georgia Tech? Let me tell you guys something else about uh, South Florida. Of the 102 points that have been scored against the Bulls so far this year, only 67, just a a little more than half, have come against the defense. Um, In the last two games um, with uh, Michigan State and Florida Atlantic, both teams uh, had had defensive scores in that game. And only five touchdowns have been scored against the USF defense in three games. Um, each opponent has returned an interception more than 55 yards for a touchdown. And USF has turned the ball over three times so far this season inside its own 10-yard line, which all resulted in, in touchdowns. Um, opponents have scored touchdowns on seven of USF's eight turnovers so far this year. So I think what that tells you is – that maybe this whole perception that USF is a bad football team um, could be a little bit, I guess you could say, overblown because of the turnover problems that they've had early this season. And I think you're going to see them change quarterbacks on Saturday and, and, and maybe go to a, to a little bit more 
of a spread offense type of attack. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, just what that does for USF against Miami's defense and whether it allows them to avoid the turnover bug and stay in the ball game the entire way. All right, now we're going to go out to the phone lines. Remember, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We're going to go out now to the 954, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? Yep, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing, Gary? This is Mo. What's up, Mo? Yeah, just um, I wanted to go back real quick talking about uh, scheduling cupcake teams and stuff like that as far as uh, – you know, Savannah State. Um, and i got to give UM credit, though. Historically, we've been uh, a team that hasn't really been afraid of scheduling tough teams on the schedule. Um, but um, just the thing that um, the teams winning all the championships right now are the SEC, as we know, the mighty SEC. Um, and maybe the thing a lot of uh, other teams are following – kind of like the, the that um, staple of, you know, because they schedule very easy non-conference uh, games, and they're all at home. So do you think it has to do with that? And a lot of people are seeing that the SEC is being successful doing it, so now we all want to do it and follow that staple of the easy cupcake non-conference games. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it, you know. (laughs) And the reason those SEC schools get such good cupcake games is because they have the money to pay for the games. And, uh, you know, teams, I think, for the most part, prefer to play Division I competition. And that's why the programs like FIU, Florida Atlantic, come at such a premium because everybody wants them. And, you know, you talk about a Florida Atlantic team, for example, going to play Auburn, and they'll get, they could get a million dollars for that game <laughs> because yeah. there's so much money, you know, so much money up at Auburn, and and you know, I think you, you know, you're, you're right on the on the mark in talking about the SEC because not only have they been one of the greatest practitioners of these types of lopsided football games, they've also driven up the price. You know, mm-hmm. they've 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 driven up the price for everybody around the country who's trying to schedule that 12th game, and they've created a bidding war for these teams like Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M, I mentioned FAU, FIU, all the other Sunbelt teams. Um, you know, there's a bidding war for those guys. So, yeah, there's no question the SEC um, is the, the trendsetter here. Um, but what I think is what ultimately must happen is there has to become a uniform policy in college football that you can't play more than six home games. And yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that with this playoff coming, uh, ne- starting next year, that that they inspire athletic directors to schedule better. Because I do think that when that selection committee gets in a room and starts weighing all the different one-loss teams to try to decide who gets into the four-team playoff, that strength of schedule and who you choose to play out of conference is going to become a big factor in those decisions. And it's going to take somebody getting burned because they play a cupcake game as opposed to a competitive game where somebody else gets the nod because they didn't um, to really probably drive the point home. But I'd also like to see a real policy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always see, like I said, back going to this SEC, you know, they play eight home games a year when, you know, we always end up playing six, maybe seven. And it's it's almost kind of like not fair. It's like they get so many home games 
you know, and and uh, but going back to uh, that also, uh, I mean, there are some sometimes where like you look at Oregon State who lost to Eastern uh, Washington, um, and you know you had Appalachian State a few years ago too. So I mean, sometimes they end up getting a payday and a win um, in these uh, in these games. Yeah, but not often. Not often. I mean, yeah, did, yeah. did you go to that game yeah. the other night? You live down. I did you go to the Savannah here State game. I did What'd go to think? the Savannah State game. Yeah, what do you think? Um, I think, yeah, I mean, it was really unfair. I mean, it, it was really unfair as one-sided. Um, ridiculous. One thing that, you know, maybe not necessarily Savannah State, more of like a, like a FAU or FIU, which we FIU we probably could have beat just as bad. Um, but at least they're, you know, the in the Division One. Um, right. Doesn't matter how bad. But, you, um, if they're Division I, One, it's it, who cares yeah, if you win big? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. At least they're a Division One team recruiting Division One yeah. level players. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind playing like an FIU, and especially because one thing about like the NFL, they get four preseason games to you know work everything out, and college football doesn't. You know, they get kind of thrown right to the wolves. So I don't mind having an FAU or an FIU. Uh, yeah, you don't you know, have to schedule Southern the Gators every or something like that. There's, there's a ton of teams out there yeah. that you could schedule. Yeah, exactly. You, to, you don't have to schedule the Gators every week. Schedule yeah. Indiana. Indiana, you know? yeah. Schedule Colorado State. You know, I mean, there's you could go on and on. You could you could yeah. go in any conference and find teams that you could schedule and get a decent football game out of it, yeah. and, and and still likely win. And you know what? If you're not good enough, if if you're not good enough to beat Indiana. Or you're not good enough to beat Colorado State, you're not going to be in the national championship picture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're just exactly. not going to be in that four-team playoff at the end of the year. So what have you lost by putting a representative game out into the stadium on the field for your fans? Um, and, and again, I'm not just talking about Miami here. I'm talking about every yeah. school around the country. You can talk about Ohio State. If you're not good enough to win the game against an average Division One team or a lower level Division One team, you're not playing for the national title. Okay, exactly. you're not going undefeated in your conference, more than likely. And if and and I don't see why anybody wants to back into national title opportunities anyway. Get good mm-hmm. enough, recruit well enough, develop your players well enough, coach them well enough, get them ready to play on game day, and mm-hmm. you're going to be fine. You know, it's not you know, yeah. I don't think that the top four teams in the country are going to be compromised by upgrading their schedule a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I just want to ask you one other thing about um, Dion Bush. Um, do you think that maybe, um, I know his father was having some health um, uh, problems, stuff like that. Do you think maybe he could be distracted? He seemed like he was distracted out there. Uh, not necessarily that it wasn't, you know, like physical, that he wasn't physically ready, but maybe it was mentally um, that that could maybe factor in why he, you know, maybe played, not not to say poorly, but he wasn't Dion Bush. I think it's both, and um, I'm going to go into that right after we're, we're done with um, – we got Keenan Codrington from Rivals uh, coming on in about five minutes to talk recruiting. Uh, okay. So I'm not going to um, get deep into Dion Bush right now. Um, I did We did have an interview with him today that I think is going to make this situation crystal clear. But what I will tell you is I think it's – it's it's physical and it's mental. I don't think he feels right physically. I don't think he's confident in his body. And I mm-hmm. think it's showing that it, from the mental standpoint 
and I was stunned by how timid he looked out there. Yeah, and, and how yeah. you know you don't want to use the word scared. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's as tough as any kid yeah. on the football team. You know, you know, you're not, I'm not going to sit here and call Deion Bush scared, but he yeah. clearly does not have the confidence in his body or his game right now to yeah. be a meaningful contributor, even this Saturday against South Florida. In my opinion, yeah. now, you might see him out there. We we yeah. you know, we saw him Saturday, but yeah, he was. I considered him one of our hardest hitters uh, last season. Like he was. You know, I mean, he was he was a really hard hitter. So it, like well, he's going to have to learn timid, how to channel but, it. You know, he definitely yeah. has to learn how to channel that. You know, you can't go for the big hit every single time. You have to learn the yeah. proper technique. You can't get you know you can't get off your feet and and elevate yourself into people and 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 put your body through that kind of punishment. And you know, there's a lot of things he has to learn that maybe he got away with in high school that he's not going to get away with in college. But right now, he does not look even close to me to be ready to play in those games coming up against Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, and Virginia Tech. Hopefully yeah. that changes. You know, we'll see how it goes and how they and where they find time to work him in. But we'll um we'll get a little more in depth into that, you know, after our recruiting segment because um like I said, we do have a really good interview with him. So was there anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? Nope. That was it. Thanks Gary. Really appreciate right, you taking thank, the time to answer thank my so questions. Much, Paul, yeah, call back next week. All right, now let's shoot out to the three oh five where you are now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? All right, sounds like we have a drop call there. Um, all right, let's uh, try to get into one more issue here uh, before we go to uh, to Keenan Codrington. We, we talked a little bit about is it time to open up the offense and start practicing the real Miami offense of 2013 with those big games that I've already mentioned uh, looming ahead. And I, we were asked on, on the message boards today, what has yet to be unveiled? Well, you know, obviously we're not going to sit here and go into specific plays uh, in terms of what has yet to be unveiled. But here's what I feel pretty confident in. You have a very versatile passing offense available to your offense coordinator that you have yet to see. Okay? I mean, they, didn't show, they showed very, very little against Florida Atlantic. And then against Florida, even though they were prepared to show more, they made the game plan decision not to open things up to a great degree um, because of the way Florida's defense showed up, the way the adjustments that Will Muschamp made after the first quarter. And Miami chose not to adjust to the adjustments and just continue to try to run the football with Duke Johnson. Didn't work as well as they would have liked because the offensive line did not perform as well as they were counting on. But at the end of the day, you're ahead of Florida in the fourth quarter by 12 points. You can't complain about that. The game plan clearly worked. So you didn't see a lot of passing offense against the Gators. And then they certainly weren't showing much against Savannah State last week. So here you are, game four, going to South Florida. I don't believe you've yet to see 90% of the Miami passing offense. You know, We all know how good these receivers are. And I think you're going to see a lot more coming up here over the next month that will get you uh, – very excited. Okay, it looks like our caller from the 305 has come back, and we're going to try again. You are live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? All right, he's obviously having some uh, technical problems uh, this evening. Um, so anyway, um, again, we're going to be joined very soon by uh, Keenan Codrington from Rivals.com, talking recruiting. But we're going to fit in one more call right now. We're going to go out to the 954, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. 
Gary, how you doing, man? Blake. What's up, Blake? How you doing, pal? Doing good. Question for question for you. Uh, I spoke to you. I told you we're going to be going up to the USF game up to Tampa, try to meet up and uh, get a beer with us. But I guess that twelve o'clock kick is not gonna not gonna work out. But uh, as always, next time. But I was thinking, um, one of the, I mean, I know everyone's talking about, but this offensive line is they're supposed to be a bunch of you know beasts up front. And I just feel like I hope I'm looking forward to seeing them. You know, get a good push against USF. And then one more thing, I wanted to see your opinion on Brian Williams. Is he would he be a serviceable backup? Would you be confident in him if, per se, Morris, you know, something happened to Morris in a game like against real competition? I'm not going to overreact, okay? You know, I coming into this season, I felt strongly Stephen Morris needed to stay healthy for, um, for this team to, to reach its goals or have a chance to reach its goals. And, and I'm not changing my opinion on that. Like everybody else, I'm, I'm very encouraged by what I see from Ryan Williams. I think he's greatly improved. I, I think he's a world better than he was last year. At the same time, I also think he has physical limitations. And, you know, I, I think there's a huge drop-off from Stephen, uh, Stephen Morris to Ryan Williams. And, and uh, so feel a little bit better? Yeah, no question about it. But nowhere near ready to say that he's anywhere close to Stephen's um, ability level. And it was kind of funny because when I did the post-game show the other night on WQAM, I was really kind of stunned because um, I think it was Daniel Rabinowitz asked me, do I think that there's going to be a quarterback controversy with when, when Stephen oh Morris gets, health, gets healthy again? And, and, you know, I was like stunned by the question, but I, you know, I, I don't think it means that he doesn't know what he's talking about. I, I mean, I think that, you know, people have a little bit of a tendency to, sometimes to when they're watching, you know, those cupcake games to put a little bit more stock in them than they probably should. And um, no question about it, Miami needs Stephen Morris, a quarterback. And uh, what do you, I mean, about the offensive line, do you think they're going to be able to, you know, handle, you know, that, like the likes of the Georgia Techs and the, and the Florida yes. States? Like, you know what I mean? I just, I just feel like they haven't really produced, like I envisioned them, in the, you know, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, well, they, they, it's because they struggled big time against Florida. You know, remember, they had 300 yards rushing against FAU. You know, that they could have done anything they wanted against FAU, obviously. They obviously could have done anything they wanted against Savannah State. Um, I, I think you have that perception uh, because uh, of the fact that they struggled against Gators. And let me tell you something. Everyone's going to struggle against that Gator defense. I mean, Tennessee couldn't move the ball consistently against them the other day. Uh, that might be the best defense in the country. So I, I think it was good that they struggled. I think it, it, it will do a lot for their work ethic here um, this week, the last couple weeks. And, and I think they'll be better for that experience in the Gator game. But I'm not worried about those guys up front. Um, McDermott's healthy again this week, and, and I think they're going to be fine. I got a suggestion for you. If you get time, go to West Tampa uh, Sandwich Shop. They got a good, good little breakfast and lunch Cuban place. It's right by the stadium. So and I got before. I got a big agenda, man. I you know got to try to get the burns, and you know then I got to be at the stadium <laughs> at nine a.m. I don't know if I'm going to make it to that sandwich shop. I it's, just, it's I just, I just, I just, I just, oh, I'm sure it is. No, I love Tampa. I think Tampa's a great town. Um, I could definitely spend several days in Tampa, and um, you know maybe we'll go to a bowl game there again one day or something. But, um, you know, I don't know that we're going to be playing USF anytime soon. Although I would do, I would think that USF would be a logical type of opponent to continue playing and fall within that classification of what I was talking about earlier in the show 
of playing Division One competition. But as of right now, I don't think there's any more games scheduled in Tampa, so we'll have to see what happens there. Hi, but maybe we'll see you at the stadium and, uh, on Saturday. Yeah, I'll be down on the field uh, before the game, so if you see me, holler. All right, Garrett. Talk to you. Bye. All right. Th- thanks for calling. All right, now we're going to go to um, Rivals.com recruiting analyst uh, Keenan Codrington, who was such a big hit last week, uh, got rave reviews for his participation in Kane Sport Live, that we decided we had to bring him back again this week. And I demanded that he fit a, a few minutes for us in his very busy schedule. And uh, so, Keenan, how you doing tonight? Not bad, Gary. Thanks for having me on. You're, you're too kind. Oh, no, you- I appreciate it. I appreciate the word. Always a pleasure for us. Now, you know, before I I pick up where I left off last week and some of the conversations I wanted to have with you about some of the kids Miami's recruiting or has committed, Mm -hmm. um, I know you've been making the rounds a a little bit this past week, and and one of the games that you went to, if I'm not mistaken, was uh, Booker T. Washington and Miami Jackson. Uh, I'm correct on that, right? Yeah, absolutely. um, Tell us a little bit. Yeah, tell us what you saw of the Booker T. kids that are committed to Miami. Well, they had they had impressive games. I mean, that was that, the defensive effort was 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 better, the best I've seen, even probably a little bit better than the Norcross game. Um, Michael Barrow and uh, Hurley Brown were there from UM to uh, to observe, you know, Demetrius Jackson, Chad Thomas, and, and Nigel Bethel, and they did everything and more. And Bethel had a great game. He had an interception, a pass breakup. He was very good in coverage, and but. The star of the game on defense is Demetrius Jackson. He, you know, he came in the game with five sacks. Um, he got three sacks in that game. He was active again. He got his hands up for a couple pass deflections, and it's pretty impressive what he's doing without really knowing and understanding the game. I talked to the D line coach Pierre Sonatas after the game, and he says, you know, he told me he's like Keenan, this kid on, you know, on zone read and when a uh, receiver goes in motion, his on his side of the field, he doesn't. He doesn't know what he's doing. He asks the coaches, should he go with the man? Should he take the quarterback? Should he take the pitch in? And he makes plays without even really having a, a grasp of the game. So it's pretty impressive what he's doing. I think, you know, Coach Barrow and Coach Brown were, they were almost giddy on the sideline watching him. And, you know, and he just did such a nice job. And then Chad, you know, he didn't have the production numbers as, as Jackson, but I'm so impressed with him sliding down to play defensive tackle. He did a little bit of it last year, but Matt Thomas got a lot of the credit. But he's playing D tackle. He's holding up at the point of attack, and it's 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 pretty cool to see because he, he you know he's a guy that once he becomes a defensive end and really focuses in on his craft, he's going to be pretty pretty special. I think the, his best football is ahead of you know similar to Jackson once once Jackson picks up the game a little more. So they did they had a nice nice performance. They they were up thirty five to nothing, and uh, Jackson scored at the end in the last. Uh, last second touchdown with the game out of reach, but um, those three were were very good and probably better than they were in the central games. If you if you can even imagine that, and the Norcross game, which they were they won fifty five nothing. Well, to throw out some numbers, uh, Demetrius Jackson had eight tackles in the Jackson game, and as you mentioned, yeah. he had three sacks, and and that gives him now nineteen tackles and eight sacks on the season. Mm-hmm. And you know, we compared it last week. I'll compare it again um, yeah. with Chad Thomas, who is the more heralded recruit at this point, sure. who has one sack uh, so mm-hmm. far this season. And uh, Demetrius Jackson, you know, as we mentioned, has eight of them. And my question, Keenan, is has Demetrius caught up to Chad or possibly even exceeded him? Or is he getting a lot of these sacks as a direct result of all the attention 
that Chad Thomas is getting on the other side? Yeah, that's a good question, Gary. Um, he, he's producing and making the most of his opportunity, no doubt about that. But you've got to give you got to give Chad Thomas a lot of credit for kind of playing a little bit out of position, but doing what's best for the team. I mean, after the game, I caught up with him, and he wasn't worried about his sack totals. He wasn't worried about playing inside. He was worrying. He worried about the six points they gave him in the last touchdown. He's a team guy. He's he's versatile. He's strong enough, you know, as his. 230-pound frame to play deep in the tackle. That's pretty impressive. So he's, you know, I don't think Jackson's exceeded him. I think he's definitely taken advantage of his opportunities, and no one really knew who Jackson was before the season. So I think he's just taking advantage of that, and he's playing, you know, as well as any defensive player in the state of Florida, but probably in the southeast, you know, maybe in an area I cover in the southeast. So um, I don't think he's exceeded. I think he's definitely coming along faster than Booker T anticipated. I think they knew what they had in the spring, but I don't think they thought he was going to be this good. And then, you know, Chad's been reliable, serviceable. I mean, Chad had a half a sack in the game, um, and he was in on a couple of uh, tackles behind the line of scrimmage. So he's making the most of his opportunities. And, you know, some schools are running away from Chad's side, even though he got the defensive tackle spot in the 4-3. Um, you know, so Jackson is taking advantage, and you got to give him credit as well. So I think it's I think those two are feeding off of one another. I think it's, you know, Booker T is playing as well as any high school team in the country. Obviously, they're number one. If they keep progressing, they could be in line to win the Mexico National Championship. And you got to start with the defense and up front. And their offense is pretty darn good, but the defense is, the defense is pretty scary. It's pretty wide out. Well, you know, it's funny. The first time I heard about Demetrius Jackson was during spring practice when uh, yep. Randy Shannon, who's now coaching the linebackers at Arkansas, was out at Booker T watching practice, and Demetrius Jackson, I think, had five sacks that day on the practice field, and, and Randy immediately um, offered him a scholarship to Arkansas. Well, shortly thereafter was when Miami got in the game as well and was able to get the commitment. And with Demetrius playing so well, I don't think there's any question that many, many schools around the country are going to try to get in and on this little uh, steeplechase here. And, um, you know, it's my feeling, just from what I've heard, that Demetrius Jackson will stick with Miami. Have you heard anything that would contradict that or leave no, it open no. to possibility? Okay. You know what? I talked to him after the game as well. I talked to Chad. I talked to Nigel. I talked to uh, Demetrius and Quentin Flowers from Jackson. And Demetrius told me he's solid in Miami. He hasn't given much thought to taking any official visits. He's really focused on the season. Um, you know, and I asked him if he's 100% to Miami. He said yes. He is receiving mail. He, he is getting calls from other schools like Louisville. Um, he even said USC. But those are only the two schools he mentioned. And I, and I asked him about Arkansas. He said, yeah, they're still talking to me as well. But, um, you know, like you said, I think it's kind of a matter of time um, that his name gets circulating out there a little more. You know, probably his first three or four huddle or game tapes on huddle will be out. And, uh, you know, you'll have schools coming in. But you got to like the fact if you're a Miami fan that, you know, uh, Michael Barrow and, and even uh, Curly Brown, two coaches, were at his game on a Thursday. So I think they're showing him a lot of interest. They're showing a lot of support. I think that's something that's really important to him as they were the second school to, to really take a chance on him on football. And um, I don't think that's going unnoticed by him. And, um, again, I think he's kind of dialed into the season and his team. Um, they have a bye week in November right before the playoffs start. And uh, maybe um, he may take an official. He didn't tell me that, but you can see maybe – that that time frame, but I think they're, he's focused on the bigger goal at hand is his season and his teammates. So I think Miami's in really good shape. I think they have a hidden gem who, let's just, let me rephrase that. They have a gem that 
is not so hidden anymore. <laughs> it's Rivals.com recruiting analyst Keenan Codrington joining us on Kane Sport Live. And if, if you want to talk recruiting um, over the next half hour or so, you can call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We've got a call from the uh, 305 that we're going to go check out right now. You're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? Man, the 305, we're, we're, uh, we're having a hard time uh, keeping those guys on the line, Keenan. We actually went through this yeah, that, last week. Um, yeah, I think yeah, what no, happens no is pe- pe- people call in and they're listening to the show on the phone, and uh, yeah. they don't realize that we think they're calling in uh, to talk to us. So let's um, – before we talk a little bit about some of the committed Miami guys, I wanted to ask you about Johnny Dixon because I, I know he's a kid that you had a uh, chance to speak with this week. And uh, mm-hmm. give us a little bit of an update on, on Johnny Dixon, what he's thinking, and and where you think Miami still fits with him. Yeah, Johnny. Johnny's a kid that's kind of an enigma. I think he likes to keep uh, things close to the vest. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate to stay in touch with him uh, here frequently. And I talked to him this past uh, this past Saturday, um, Sunday, and he he kind of got me called up in his first two official visits, which were to NC State and Arkansas, and he's headed to Ohio State this weekend. Now, um, he hasn't taken an official visit to Miami, and that's probably because of proximity. Um, he may try to go at the end of the season when Miami likes to have people on campus. Um, you know, he told you and I in June that the Rivals 100 five-star challenge presented by Under Armour in Chicago, that Miami was the leader. They're doing the best job recruiting him. You know, he's feeling real comfortable uh, with Miami, you know, and staying, and staying home. You know, so, you know, there wasn't a lot of speculation that Miami was definitely the team to beat now. At his game against Miami Central, he told me, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, Miami were his top three. He still maintains Miami's one of the schools actively recruiting him the hardest. But, you know, he went to NC State the weekend they played Richmond. It was the same weekend Miami played Florida. And, you know, as Gary, you know, there was over 100, 150 reported recruits at the game. And, you know, Johnny Dixon wasn't one of them. Is that a reason to be concerned? Um, no. It might have just been a timing. It might have been a you know, a scheduling thing with him to go to NC State and see it, um, see it up close when they have a chance to really win the game and, you know, kind of put their best foot forward with Johnny. But, you know, you you'd really, you know, other committed players for Florida, other players maybe not even consider Miami who were at that game because it was so big and such two two really good uh, high-profile teams in state, you know, uh, similar to Miami and, uh, and Florida State. So, you, you know, there may be a little bit of concern for King Nation, but at the same time it's a long way to go. Um, you know, Johnny's even said that, you know, location may be a factor for him, especially with his family. But I think he may be warming up to maybe looking out of state, or, you know, with Miami being the only in-state school of interest. So, um, you know, you got other schools kind of going hard on him. You know, Ohio State will be a big visit for him this weekend. He's already been there. He went there this summer. His mom's actually going with him this weekend. So just something to keep an eye on. I think Miami is still in pretty good shape. I think they're actively recruiting him. You know, they still need – some skill player with the receiver position. I think Dixon's a guy they want. Um, there's other prospects like Braxton Berrios in the mix. So, there's, you know, it's something to keep an eye on, but I think Miami's still doing a good job of actively recruiting him. According to him, they're still recruiting him very hard. So it's, they're not discounted at all. You know, you just got to keep an eye on it. you got to keep those out-of-state schools uh, kind of at bay if, a little bit if you're Miami and, you know, keep showing strong interest if, if he's the guy you want. And I, I think he remains a high-priority recruit especially the offensive side of the ball with their remaining, select remaining spots left to go with 25 commitments already. 
Well, you know, I think there is, you know, reason to be a little bit uptight about it from the Miami mm-hmm. uh, standpoint, the fact that he's not committed yet. And the, mm-hmm. the thing that really worries, you know, I think should worry people is his friendship with Travis Rudolph. And I, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's pretty obvious right now that Travis Rudolph is not coming to Miami. I mean, if he were to reverse gears at, at, at any point between now and February, I think it would be one of the greater shockers in recruiting this year. <laughs> Um, you know, I don't know what the heck happened there. He was once committed to Miami, but whatever did happen, uh, clearly was a game changer because, um, I don't think Travis is considering Miami anymore, but you know, I look at Alabama and I look at Ohio state and if either one of those two schools were to be willing to take both Travis Rudolph and Johnny Dixon together, Mm -hmm. you know, that could become problematic in my opinion for Miami. So we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, Keenan Codrington from Rivals.com joining us here on Kane Sport Live. You're welcome to call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. It looks like we have a call now from the 404. You're now live on Kane Sport Live. Gator, how you doing, man? We're doing good. How you doing? I'm doing good. I got a quick question. Um as far as the kid uh, speeding the well and then Leonard Fournette, uh, any 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 rumblings as far as Miami, as far as those guys? Um, I know I know uh, Fournette's going to be taking the trip down to Miami, but any any rumblings where they think that Miami can pull either one of those kids and and also um, just tapping into Louisiana as far as talent. I know. Again, I know LSU has their pull a little bit, and will have their pull in Louisiana, but it's a lot of talent, man, in in, in Louisiana. I'm just wondering, uh, from uh, from from you guys' perspective, um, where's Miami? Just in general, I just want to just listen in. Good, Ken. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for the call. I know we we kind of hit on this last week uh, with Fournette. Um, Speedy's a guy that's kind of off the radar. Um, you know, LSU. Is probably the team to beat. It is kind of a surprise he hasn't committed to LSU yet, being in their backyard. But I think um, he's a guy if they want in their class, uh, you know, he'll be there at the end of the day. I haven't heard Miami's name uh, really with Speedy um, mentioned at all. Um, we we and the last time we had a chance to see Speedy was in the spring. We invited him to the Rivals 100 Five Star Challenge for them. I don't know. He did not show. He actually went out to the opening for the Nike event. Um, you know, he mentioned LSU a few times, but he didn't really talk about too many other schools. Now, Fournette has maintained he's going to take an official visit to Miami. Um, it would be a huge pull if they can get him from LSU's backyard. And LSU and Alabama seem to be the teams to beat for him. Now, Alabama, he may have to look at their depth chart and their roster. Could be something that he, he may not want to go in that kind of situation. But with LSU... You know, you watch Jeremy Hill on, on Saturday against Auburn. He's that type of power back that can move the chains, drag down tacklers, and he could be a nice compliment to a guy like Joseph Yerby as a kind of a one-two, you know, thunder lightning punch. And so if Miami can give him the campus, that's, again, that's kind of half the battle. That's what we talked about last week. And he's interested in Miami, and that's all you can really ask at this stage. And, you know, if Miami shows him they're interested in him and they'll go out of state for him and put the, you know, they'll put their – you know, lay out the red carpet for them, I think they would have a chance. You know, it's getting to campus is a big thing. Competing with Alabama and LSU is going to be tough. Um, you know, has Miami been able to do that in the last few years with some recruits? That's pretty hard to say. Now, they were able to get Standish Bilbar from, from New Orleans last year. 
So they they have they have the they have the ability. It's just getting it done and getting these guys to campus. Up the, that's the that's that's the big key right there with a guy like Fournette. And, and one last question: um, What's the odds of uh, Cook and Yerby? Well, I know Yerby's already committed to Miami, but what's the odds of Cook coming over to Miami as well? Yeah, if you want to, if I'm going to play odd makers and I'm in Vegas, um, I'm going to probably say five to ten percent. Um, Hmm. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked with anything those two did. They they maintained from the beginning with any interview they've done, they would be more than willing to play high school or college ball together and continue the next four years, you know, playing on the same team. They even said at one point they would play with Sonia Michelle. They didn't care that they they're all about competing and when you're playing with two of the you know, two of the best running backs in the country but in the state of Florida as well, you're probably not gonna be scared of competition too much. So um you know, Dalvin is the guy that committed to Clemson early. It probably was a great fit for him. He has that C.J. Spiller ability. He, something didn't work out. He flipped to Florida. I think he's very comfortable with Florida. I think his family is very comfortable with Florida. But these guys have maintained that, you know, I talked to Dalvin two weeks ago at the Miami Central Dwyer game, and he said he had one message for schools, keep recruiting him hard, and he'll listen. You know, he went up to Texas. He's interested in USC. And uh, Yearby said the same thing. He wants schools to keep recruiting him hard, and I think James Colby is doing that for UM. And if they wanted Cook or wanted to go after Cook and wanted to get two running backs in this class, I mean, you, you never know. But I think it's kind of slim right now. I just I think uh, he's comfortable with Florida. He likes Florida. You know, if you if you had asked me as an analyst, would this would that be a right fit? I'm not sure. Florida hasn't produced um, you know a top two running back at the next level for quite some time. Mike Gillespie sure. had a lot of last year. Um, was it an anomaly? Maybe. I think that was more geared towards their offense being a ball control style of offense, but Cook's the type of guy that is very electric and, like I said, a Clemson, C.J. Spiller type player, or even a Duke Johnson type guy as far as the return game goes and even the passing game. Yeah, he, he has that type of ability and he's a perfect complement to your because I think that's a, that's the case as both of those guys have been kind of 1A, 1B their whole career. So, I'd say five to ten percent, but you never know. And those guys have said they 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 would be willing to play together. And one school I wouldn't even count out is USF with um, Kelly Lockett, the former high school coach, being running back coach. He knows those two better than anyone in the country. And you know USF would be a, a huge get if they got one of the two. But who knows if he gets if he gets those guys to campus for an official visit, he may get a raise by Coach Taggart. But just you know, you never know with um, with the cooking year be, but. Miami's in great shape with Yerby, and I think that's all they can really ask right now. I'll weigh in okay. real quick. I, um, I'll weigh in re- real quick on this one. I, I think um, the odds are a little higher than 5 or 10% of a Cook flip to Miami, but I don't think it's even going to become an issue until January. I think Miami's you know, content to go through the season. I think they really want to explore this Leonard Fournette uh, deal and, and the fact that he mm-hmm. is coming on an official visit, yeah. I think, at, has them um, inspired that that he is serious and that he's not you know just coming down to see South Beach and uh, Leonard Fournette to me is the best running back in the country and um, you know I, I think that that's one that that definitely is worth you know pl- playing itself out and you know in in terms of um, the chances on Fournette himself I think it's great that they're going to go head to head with Alabama and LSU because I think. Miami needs to get back to the point where it can compete on a level playing field with those two guys. And I think, you know, the only way that you can find out whether you can compete is by actually doing it. 
And um, mm-hmm. I think that it'll give Al Golden and his staff a great chance to measure uh, just where they are on, on the national scene as they go through the season. I mean, when you look at this Miami schedule and the way this team has come together, there there is a chance you don't want to get ahead of yourself that this could be a really good season for Miami. And if they take care of business in some of these games coming up against Georgia Tech and North Carolina to set the stage for that big game at Florida State on November the 2nd, um, Miami's going to be back in the national limelight, probably in the top 10. And, you know, that could bode well for recruiting. So um, we, we think, was, was, was there anything else you wanted tonight? Yeah, I'm just saying, man, they they really need to put the full court press, press on Fournette. I saw him play when he played. I don't played. think you got to worry oh. about that. I think they are putting the full court press as best they can with a kid that's in Louisiana. I mean, they're you know they're they're not going to be able to see him that much until they get into yeah. recruiting in December, you know. But yeah. I don't think you have to worry yeah. about them putting the full court press on Leonard Fournette. When when Leonard Fournette is willing to consider you, and he's one of the top couple players in the country, you can be rest assured that coaching staff is sitting in there calling him plenty and doing everything they can. Um, to recruit him. All right. Well, we thank you very much for calling and um, give us a shout next week. Anybody else that wants to get in real quick with Keenan Codrington, he's going to be with us for about another 10 minutes or so. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Let's go out now to the uh, 704 where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, thanks, Gary, for taking my call. Um, I oh, have thank you. two uh, recruits that I've been thinking of. Uh, Ermon Lane, how solid is he to Florida? And what about uh, the defensive tackle, Anthony Modden? Because uh, I heard that he uh, decommitted from Florida and has Miami in the lead, but there's been nothing ever since he decommitted from Florida. Keenan, why do you yeah, think Anthony Moten has not committed to Miami yet? That's a great question, and I think he is probably trying to, and I would say, enjoy recruiting but um, take his time with the process this time around. Um, you know, he committed to Florida early. His cousin, Michael Moten, played for Florida, won a national championship with Steve Spurrier in 96. Florida was the school that was really always in the mix for Anthony. He committed, and then he never actually visited Florida, and that's something that the Florida coaching staff was, you know, really taken back by. He he was going to plan to go to Friday Night Lights in July. He didn't make it to go to a wedding, and – both parties, you know, went their separate ways. So I think, you know, I think he kind of rushed his decision a little bit early the last time, and I think he just really wants to take his time with everything. You know, he ha- he likes Miami. I think from a playing time perspective, Miami could bring have a lot to offer him as far as depth chart and, and even having his buddy Jelani Hamilton at UM to kind of maybe teach him the ropes and, you know, play along the defensive line and learn Jethro Franklin uh, type, of, uh, type of coaching and style would be beneficial to him, but he, you know, he likes Florida State, he said, which is kind of surprising because Florida State's pretty close on numbers at the defensive tackle spot. He mentioned uh, Michigan State, he's going to take an official in Notre Dame and South Carolina, but he also told me that he's only going to Michigan State, Notre Dame, and South Carolina with his teammates, or two of his teammates that were committed to Notre Dame and one to South Carolina, and his other teammate that's going to Michigan State, he's just going to go up there with them. So, he, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly he's thinking for himself in, in some aspects of what he really wants in the recruiting process. Maybe only he knows that. I, but I think Miami is definitely in the mix. I think they're going to be one of the teams that beat. It's just he's going to take his time. I think he's going to do things a little slowly. 
and to be honest, I think Gary, you've covered you know recruiting in, in this area a little longer than I have. St. Thomas Aquinas guys usually don't flip flop and go back and forth like this. This is kind of a strange situation, um, and I've even talked to the coaches about it. And they say they want him to commit and get off the board, and you know defensive tackle spots fill up pretty quick, so they want him to take care of this. But I think he's just moving a little slowly, a little slower than possible. And then with Lane, um, I went to a season opener against University School. I talked to him after the game. He's still very solid to to Florida. However, I asked him, are schools still recruiting you? He said, yes, Miami and Alabama. And you have to assume Miami is going to still recruit him. And even to Gary's point before, you know, they're going to put their best foot forward other guys who aren't committed right now. I think they have to do that. Um, with Lane, he's related to Michael Barrow. They're very close. Um, and I don't think they're going to, Miami is going to give up on him. They have to, you know, they have to put – they're recruiting stock in other places like Johnny Dixon and guys like Braxton Berrios who are uncommitted right now. It's, it kind of be a waste of resources at the time to recruit committed guys who are pretty solid to their schools. It's only September. But I think, as Gary said, you know, as the recruiting season gets around, I think you'll see a little bit change of effort for them as they have more time to recruit these committed guys as well to get them to campus. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much you can get done in December and January in recruiting. Sure, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I mean, like, for example, Stacy Coley wasn't coming to Miami until probably the last few days of recruiting last January. So, yeah, you know, you could get a lot done in December and January. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else you know, for you tonight? So would you kind of compare the Martin thing to, like, Keith Bryant last year, who was kind of flirting with Miami, but then decided to turn him down signing day? I would. Yeah, I don't think. Different types of kids. You said you wouldn't, Gary? I would not know because I think Moses yeah, yeah, is a more higher character kid than Keith Bryant I was. I agree. I think uh, I agree with Gary 100. percent I just think Moten is trying to do the, the the right thing this time around and not trying to kind of get a little pressure into his commitment with Florida or any certain school. So yeah, I agree with Gary. It's a totally different kid. I mean, I talked to Keith Bryant at a game um, last year in October, and he said, you know. I said, how solid are you in Miami? He said, I'm solid, but if Miami offers uh, one of his teammates, he'd be 100%. So I think I think Keith was looking for, um, you know, some of their advantages to recruiting to help his teammates, whether he's just being a good teammate and a good friend, you know, you can say what you want. But I think he enjoyed kind of the game and, you know, maybe playing schools against one another and, you know, as schools do to other kids as well. But I think Anthony is a different type of kid, as Gary said, and, I think he just wants to be right this time around. I think he's going to take his time, you know, to make his decision. All right. Thanks for giving us a call tonight. Uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again next week. Uh, let's go out now to the um, the 401, where you are now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello, you're on the air. How you doing, sir? We're doing good. How um, you doing? The question, all right. The question that I have is, why is the NCAA, you know, overlooking Miami, but it's jumping on all the other cases before they, final, you know, finalize the Miami case? All right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you back on hold, and we'll get to that in about five minutes, okay? Um, I do want to talk about that subject, but uh, we're going to try to stick to recruiting now for the next five minutes, so I'm putting you back on hold, and we're going to go out to the 770, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? Hello? You're on the air. Hello? Yeah, you're on the air. Doing good. Hey, I just had a question about a couple players. Um, 
and I think both of y'all could probably answer. Uh, the one name was um, Jimmy Bays. I know he's, like, currently committed to. Out of USF. There's, like, some looks from him. Um, linebacker award at the Miami camp. And I was wondering, like, um, was he, like, uh, information or, you know, talk with him in Miami. And um, also I wanted to talk, uh, get some information about two 2015 recruits, um, Jacqueline Johnson and Burgess Becker. Yeah, um, good questions. I'll start with uh, uh, US, uh, Jimmy Bays, and he's committed to USF. I'm sorry, your phone kind of cut out a little bit. Um, he actually attended the Miami-Florida game, and uh, he had a chance to talk to some of the coaches. I think he enjoyed his visit, but I think he's pretty solid to USF, and I think it's a good fit for him at USF, and the possibility of maybe getting his teammate, Dearness Johnson, to USF with him may go a little long way with Coach Taggart and the Bulls, so I think Miami might have a chance a little early on with him, but I think he's he's kind of just going to focus on USF. I think Auburn and, and Alabama were interested in him at linebacker. Um, he's kind of a scary freak athlete where he plays defensive and outside linebacker. He can play receiver, but I think as far as Miami chances with him, I think it's, you know, they're a little bit on the outside, and I think that's okay with Miami. Um, with Jaquan Johnson, I think, was your first guy from Miami Killian. I think it's Miami and Florida battle for him. Um, you know, with it, he's around five nine, and he wants to play safety, which is okay. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of a mod black or Marcus Joyner, but some schools kind of like him at corner. Um, when last time I talked to him, he had Miami and Florida kind of his top two, and I don't think that's going to change a little bit. I think he's going to probably likely stay in state, and maybe Florida State may jump in the picture as well. And with Sean Burgess Becker, it's an interesting um, recruit. Uh, Miami was his dream school growing up. Alabama was the first school to offer him under Mario oh, Cristobal. Kiss and, of death. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, give give you know give Cristobal a little bit of credit. He kind of did his research on him, and I think he knew about him when you know when Mario was at UM. But then when he took the Alabama job, he he was one of the first kids he offered. When Alabama offered him that morning, um, James Coley and those guys got out, reached out to him, and they offered him that night. So they were kind of second in there, but I think that's okay with Sean. I think he really likes Miami. Um, and that was his dream school growing up. I think Miami's definitely in the picture with Alabama. Florida's kind of a team to keep an eye on at LSU as well. Um, he's going to be a mega, you know, he's going to be a national level recruiter as he already is. Um, if he leaves the state, I'd be a little bit surprised. You know, he's very close to his family. Um, I think he likes, um, I think he likes what Miami has to offer. His thing is he's categorized as an athlete right now, and for good reason. He's a very good safety. Um, he's a very good receiver. He's a little raw at receiver, but he's a really good playmaker. You know, I went to his practice in August, and he's playing quarterback. So he's just doing what's best for his team, and I think some schools have to figure out where they want him. And I think as that progresses, that may make him feel a little more comfortable with a certain school. Um, you know, if he turns up, if he sticks with defense, which I think is his best college position, I think Miami and Alabama would be tough to beat for him. Do you uh, do you compare him to that um, uh, the guy who went to Alabama from Orlando uh, who got dismissed? I can't think of his name. Um, Orlando, they had, you know Alabama had the safety uh, Hussein Clinton Dix. Is that who you're referring to? Not 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 Clinton Dix. He was one of the uh, one of the five star recruits that um, he had got. Was it? I, I may not may not be Orlando. But uh, it was like about a year or two ago, 
He's like 6'4", 204. They tried him at corner, I mean, safety yeah, and receiver. Yeah. Uh, um, what's his name? Eddie Williams from uh, – Yeah, Eddie, from Eddie Williams. You know, Eddie was a bigger size kid than Sean. Um, it's kind of hard to compare athletic ability, sure. I mean, Sean's right up there with some of you know, the best athletes, um, you know, in, in the southeast. He has that type of ability. He really broke on the radar in February at the NLA 7-on-7 event where he was probably one of the top playmakers there. And that event had Urban Lane, um, you know, Chris Lamont, even Jacqueline Johnson, who you just mentioned, and he was one of the top uh, playmakers there. So he kind of broke out in the camp and combine se- uh, season, and he really just picked it up from there, and he's a double-digit offer guy. So um, size-wise, he kind of, you know, he's he's around 6'2", 185, so he has a chance to be 200 for sure, and that's why defense may be his best position on the next level. But, yeah, that Eddie Williams kid was kind of a freak athlete and just didn't, uh, just didn't pan out of Alabama. But I think Sean's a guy that has, you know, pretty good head on his shoulders and he has a good, pretty good sound family life, and I think he'll be fine wherever he goes. And I think, uh, like I said, if it's defensive back, Alabama and Miami could be those, the teams to beat for him. All right. Hey, All right. Lot, we, uh, yeah, thanks a lot for calling tonight. Kenan, I'm going to squeeze in one more quick call for you before we let you go. Sure. Um, we're going to go over to the 561, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Yeah, what's happening, guys? This is Willie down in the 561. It's a great day to be a hurricane. Yes, sir. What's up, Willie? Uh, not much, man, really. Uh, just uh, just uh, had a question. Who, uh, who's the kid that nobody knows about that's under the radar that you think is going to turn out to be the recruit to have? <laughs> Honestly, um so far, what I've seen, I would say Demetrius Jackson, but he's already, you know, he already has a school. Yeah, he's already got him, yeah. And now there are a million schools that really want him. I'm sure that's going to be changing pretty soon. Um, that's, a real, that's a real good question. Um, you know, like I said, I think he's kind of, I think Jackson is this year's Eddie Jackson last year who ended up signing with Alabama who didn't play as a junior. Um and just had a breakout senior year and ended up that, you know, the BCS national champion, Alabama. I think Jackson is that type of guy in the state in Florida. And I think that's, that's pretty good for Miami. And Gary mentioned it, you know, Eddie Jackson was with Alabama last year. And I think Demetrius Jackson this year, Booker T is this year's Eddie and he's going to Miami. So you may be able to compete with these type of guys moving forward. And I think they're putting their best foot forward with those guys. And uh, and starting to land those guys, so I think that's a great thing for Miami, and especially a backyard guy. Did you have anything all right, else tonight? All right. well, we don't have much questions tonight for you, man. Uh, thanks for the info. Thank you so no, much yeah, for no uh, calling in. All right, Keenan, I'm going to let you go for for tonight. <laughs> Obviously, we could sit here and do this for hours, talking recruiting with you, and um, hopefully, we'll be able to keep having you back here week after week, whenever you have time during the season, and. Uh, We'll keep tracking these Florida kids and uh, and seeing what's up. So uh, thanks for joining us once again. No problem, man. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate the time. You guys have a good night. All right, that's uh, Keenan Codrington, recruiting analyst for Rivals.com. Who's um, I'll tell you, I love having him as a guest on this show. Um, he he really really knows these kids and he gets out and sees them. And um, I think he brings us a lot of insight, uh, not just into the kids that are on the commitment list right now, but some of the other ones that are being recruited and and some of the kids that are looking ahead at, uh, you know, like the, for, for the 2015 class and uh, and onward. So now we're going to switch gears back. We're going to um, spend our last uh, 35 minutes or so of show talking about some of these issues uh, pertaining to hurricane football. I hope you guys will call in 
595-2048. Let's go out to the 954 now, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? You're on the air. All right, he's going to have to call back. Um, hey, guys, uh, one word of advice. If you're listening on your computer and you call in, maybe turn down your computer and listen to the show on the phone because I think there is a little bit of a delay, and I think a, a lot of guys get a little bit confused by that delay. And, and then when we go to bring you on the show, you're listening to your computer, and you don't know that you're on the air. Let's uh, take a shot now with the 561 where you're not allowed on Kane Sport Live. Yeah, I was losing really again. I was listening on the phone. But my question is, like the guy earlier, you know, they keep touching on everybody, um, every, every other school, every other situation. When are we going to finally hear about Miami? Yep. No, I was uh, I was getting ready to get into that because we had a call um, a little while ago from the 401 asking that uh, very question, and I promised to get back to it after Keenan got off the air. Um, I'm starting to think this Penn State situation might be a little bit related to the delay in, in the Miami announcement. And and the fact that the NCAA came out with its announcement today that it's going to reduce the unprecedented sanctions that it had levied against Penn State's football program by gra- gradually restoring scholarships starting next season was a pretty big announcement. And um, while I'm not sure that that means that you know they're going to go easy on Miami or anything like that, I have a feeling that with that in the works, maybe they wanted to get that out of the way before they got to Miami, uh, because obviously whatever they do with Miami is going to be of big national interest, and there's going to be a lot of debate and conversation about it. So, you know, quite possibly there might be a connection there. Um, You know, we're sitting here now, what is it, it's um, September the 24th. Um, I have heard about... you know, today's September 24th. I had heard that there was a decent chance that there would be announcement before October 1st. Um, I mentioned last week that I also heard that Miami was prepared for it to go into October. So, you know, it's really – I think we're really in an any-day type of situation, to be honest with you. I mean, today's Tuesday. It, it could happen tomorrow. It could happen Thursday, maybe next week. Um, you know, nobody really I, knows I mean, when, so when I it's mean, happening. I mean, I mean, I mean, Miami's, you know, been proactive, you know, with everything that they've done. If they come out with saying, oh, we have to do uh, another bowl ban or, or whatever, I mean, what is Miami's recourse? Are they going to take this to court or are they, they going to oh, no, there was, Miami will appeal. If they, if they give Miami another bowl ban, I don't think there's any question that Miami's first step is going to be to appeal. Now, whether that also simultaneously means a lawsuit as well, I don't know. Um, you know that's up to attorneys to to opine on, but uh, I don't think there's any question that if they say to UM that you cannot go to a bowl game this year, that Miami will appeal that. There is no doubt in my mind. Well, I see what Penn State that they're reducing the scholarships, but one thing that I noticed they didn't change the fact the amount of the fine. They're still going to get their money. <laughs> um, <laughs> It always I mean, that's, I mean, like, if you're going to do anything, I mean, think, you know, the scholarships, you know, that, that's great, but, I mean, it's still the 60 million. Gonna, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, it, it's not really the interest of the kids. I mean, the kids, I, I mean, the kids are the one that's paying, you know, in all these universities, all these schools, with everybody coming out saying, yeah, I took money. I mean, it, I, I mean, it, it's rapid, so to, 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 to make it seem like, you know, to make this, you know, when it first came out by Miami that all these players and all these things, compared to all the other stuff that you're hearing, you would think at least by now, man, that this stuff would be settled. 
no doubt about it. I mean, that's what everyone says. Um, but I give the NCAA a lot of credit for what they did here in the Penn State case. I, I thought they were way out of line in what they did to Penn State. I personally never saw it as an NCAA issue. It was a horrible, horrible social yeah, yeah, thing yeah. that happened up there. As bad as anything could possibly be, nobody would ever argue that. But was it an NCAA no. issue? No, it was absolutely not an NCAA issue. And they should start giving them their scholarships back. I think they even could have gone further than what they did. Yeah, me too as well. I mean, it's like I say, the whole thing, this was a crime upon kids, and it's like the NCAA, it, to me, it's like another crime on kids, you know, punishing them, uh, cutting the scholarships. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's just my opinion. But, You're you know, totally right. all in all to be said, it's just that, you know, it, it's three years, man. I mean, well, I mean, it leaves you up in there about this season. Nobody, I mean, they're having, they could have a great season. I don't want to see it come down to a whole bunch of stuff in the media, you know, court cases, this, that, back and forth, uncertainty. You know what I mean? Yep, you're absolutely right. Nobody's going to argue with you. <laughs> That's for sure. So, um, did right, you have anything else you want to man, talk I'll give you another call next Tuesday, man. Keep up the good work. Man. All right, man. We, yeah, we, we, we appreciate it. You're always welcome on the show. Let's go. Um, first, let me throw out the number again, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. we got 30 minutes of show left, plenty of time for phone calls. Get in on the board. Um, let's go out now to the 305, where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. How are you doing? What's shaking? I'm good. I'm good. First, I wanted to give uh, credit to a young player and then ask you a question about these two other players. So I wanted to give some credit to Preston Dewey. It's unfortunate what happened to his back and his health, and, you know, he can't no longer play any football, but, you know, he stuck with the U. He realized the importance of a degree from the U, and uh, I think the kid has a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a situation that's working out well. Preston Dewey was never going to play quarterback for the University of Miami. And, you know, you hate to see it end with an injury. Um, but, you know, I like the fact that he's getting um, to finish his education. And, you know, he's getting a first-rate education at the University of Miami. That, to me, is more important than his football career, which was not, you know, he wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback, did not have those type of physical abilities, um, probably never should have been recruited to Miami. So he got the opportunity to come here, get a great education from a top 40 institution. He's getting to see that through, and I think it works out well for everybody. Miami get, is going to get to use the scholarship for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, and you never know what may end up in the future. He may become a, you know, some, you know, he may work somewhere in sports or as a coach or something like that because he seems like a bright kid and, uh, you know, go back to Texas and, and help recruit for the U or something. But uh, these other two kids I wanted to uh, ask you about. Where in the world is Jawan Blue? Okay, and that's the first question. And um, are we going to give some some carries or some opportunities for Corn Elder to, to touch the ball? Okay, well, first I'll talk about Blue. You know, he's an invisible man. He, Like everybody else, including all the walk-ons, he got into the game the other night. Um, I didn't notice him doing anything of any significance, but I don't think anybody could have done anything in that game of any significance because it was such a ridiculous mismatch. There wasn't even the basis for true evaluation anyway. Um, I don't know how much of a future Juwan Blue has at Miami. You know, you got you got several linebackers coming in and recruiting this year. Um you know, I think that Miami's trying to get bigger and more physical at the linebacker position. Um, they've got Terry McCray committed. They've got Jawan Young committed. Um, the um, the, uh, there's the other kid, Darian Owens, the defensive back. 
um, who's going to become a linebacker in college is committed. So Miami's attacking that linebacker position um, in recruiting. And I'm just not sure what kind of future Juwan Blue has at Miami and would not be shocked to see him at some point transfer. Is it, is it now, something that, you know, he's he's not learning the playbook? Or, I mean, have you heard anything? Or is it just is he not working out as hard? Or, he's know? not even a topic of conversation, so I can't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've ever really had a detailed conversation with Mark D'Onofrio or Michael Barrow about him. You know, I haven't. You know, I'll try to make a mental uh, note to do so as soon as I get a chance to. Um, I just don't think he's good enough, you know. I mean, if he were, you'd see him on the depth chart, um, you know, but he's he's not showing up anywhere in the picture at either of the three linebacker spots. And I just don't see that changing. You know, I really don't. And and, and I think he's another one that could depart and be replaced. Now, um, okay. you were asking about Corn Elder uh, as well. And, you know, he's kind of interesting in that when he came in to the Miami recruiting fold, a lot of people thought he would be an offensive player. But the thing I can tell you is he's kind of small. You know, he's – he's um you know, I guess an Eduardo Clemens size running back. And I think Miami's trying to get a little bit bigger at the running back position, you know, keeping in mind that you still have Duke Johnson. And um, I think they decided to give him his first look at cornerback. And I believe that they're pretty happy with what they've been seeing out there. You know, I mean, he is, he's, he is showing up on the depth chart right now. He's, he's third, you know, coast second team, I guess at corner. Um, but it has been doing, you know, pretty well, uh, considering he's a true freshman. So I don't think that they're going to move him. I mean, if the recruiting class were to show up light at slot receiver, you might eventually, if they got heavy at cornerback and light at slot receiver, you might see a move at some point in his career. But Miami's recruiting slot receivers. You know, I think you look at uh, Braxton Berrios, a perfect example, a kid that I think is going to commit to Miami relatively soon. Uh, he is, without question, a slot receiver, uh, very much in the mold of like a Wes Welker type of player. And um, I love that kid. I really hope that they get a commitment from him because he'll, he'll be exciting to watch for four years. Um but, you know, I, I, Johnny Dixon, I think, is another one that could be a slot receiver. So, you know, I'm just not sure um, that Corn Elder is going to be on offense anytime soon. Yeah, I think with um, Corn Elder, from what I've seen on the defense side, um, he, he has shown um, some physicality there. You know, he made a couple – I think he made, like, one tackle that I did see against Savannah State. Now, it was against Savannah State. But, you know, he was pretty physical on that tackle, and he seems like someone who's who's not going to back down. So I'm pretty happy to see him on the defensive side. Nice. As for Braxton Berrios. And, and he's a you know, great athlete. You know, great athlete. Right, so. exactly. And as far as Braxton Berrios and Johnny Dixon, I feel it's one of those either ors. I mean, I wish we would get both. But, I, you know, I think Braxton is more of a lock than Johnny. Except, you know, so I think once Braxton announces in October for, for the U, and, you know, we know Johnny's situation where he's looking, you know, going to all these visits, he may choose another, you know, alternative or something, but I think it's an either-or situation. Yeah, you might be right. You know, like I said earlier in the show, I'm a little concerned about Miami's prospects with Johnny Dixon. Uh, it seems to be dragging and delaying, and in the meantime, he's taking looks at other places. He's taking his mom with him to Ohio State. That's never a good sign when the moms go right. on the recruiting the recruiting trips to other schools. Uh, so we'll we'll see. You know, see see how things evolve here. Um, long way to February, so. Appreciate the call, Gary. All right. Thanks a lot for calling. All right. We've got uh, 20, about 24 minutes of show left. Uh, you're welcome to call in. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. 
646-595-2048. Earlier in the show, we were talking about Dion Bush and um, the subject of how ready he is right now to contribute at the safety position for the Hurricanes. And he got his first action against Savannah State. I don't know how much all of you guys out there listening were paying attention to him. I was paying a lot of attention to him. I was really watching him closely, and I was stunned, in all honesty, by what I saw. And, uh, you know, he looked to me to be very timid, was not playing with any confidence, and this is against Savannah State. Uh, Certainly wasn't being physical, did not look like he had any desire to me to be in on the action, and just basically didn't look close to being ready physically or mentally to contribute to this defense. And um, that's what I walked out of Sun Life Stadium with on Saturday. And then uh, today uh, we had an opportunity to sit down with Dion Bush and talk about his situation. And after this conversation, which I'm going to play for you right now, I was even more convinced that he's not ready. So um, let's go ahead and um, let you take a listen now to Dion Bush on himself. And then we'll follow up with it afterwards. And you're welcome to call in and talk about it more. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Here's Dion Bush. It's something to build on, you know. I finally got my feet wet, got out there, and been up, was able to go play with the team. And I really enjoyed being out there with the team. And, you know, it's something to build on. Um, I, I, I expect it to be a lot better, but the only thing I can do right now is work harder and build on what I put on film on Saturday and get better from it. Did you feel a little tentative out there? Um, I felt a little bit tentative, but um, but I, I feel like it's going to get right. And practicing each day, I'm, I feel like I'm getting better and a lot of, pro- a lot of progress over the um, week. Is it hard when you're coming off? You know, a couple different types of injuries and things like that, medical issues, um, to play football the way you like to play football? It's hard because, you know, there's a lot that goes in play um, from, you know, physical aspect and, you know, the mental aspect. And it's something that you have to get over in order to um, overcome and be a a better player. So it is kind of hard, but at the same time, you got to just fight through it. Dion, how much was was it a wake-up call? On Saturday, just to you know, get trying to get back in game shape, trying to just get back in the flow of things. Um, it was it was a it was a major wake up call. You know, it, it taught me the stuff that I got to get better at, and things that I need to work on, the weaknesses, and you know, it, I think it made me a better player at the end of the day. How many plays did you actually get in for? Um, I know it was somewhere around over. It was over the 20 range, but um, I'm not. I'm not really sure exactly. Fatigue at all, or you felt okay the whole way through? Help what? Um, you know, I, I had a couple plays. You know, I felt a little bit fatigued, but you know, I I kind of expected it, and um, you know, um, I just pushed through it. How far away do you feel you are from having your game back? Um, uh, I. I I'm not really sure exactly how far away I am, but I feel like I'm getting there, and I feel like I feel like it's going to be soon, sooner than I, sooner than a lot of people believe. I feel like I'm going to um, be back. Is there an urgency because the season's started? You know, games are kicking off here week after week, and you know, obviously you're not redshirting this year, so. Yeah, you know, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and just try to. I'm not too much trying to rush it, but I'm trying to trying to go at a rapid pace, trying to get better each day. What's holding you back right now? Do you feel? Um, you know, I, I can't tell you. Uh, I, I'm not really sure, 
Um, it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's a physical and mental thing. I won't say it's all, it's all mental and all, and all physical. You know, it's, both of it play a big role in it. And, you know, um, um, at one point, I'm just going to have to overcome all of that. Is it the kind of thing where you have to feel totally solid physically so that you can get the mental confidence back? Um... Um, I, I'm not sure exactly sure when I'm going to be 100% physically, and you know it all starts in the mind. And when you tell your mind you can do stuff, you know it, your body just do, does it most of the time. So that's that's the main thing I'm looking for. Can you, can you take us through kind of how trying this process has been for you to come back from this injury? It's certainly, you know, we 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 haven't seen you every day, you know, rehabbing and going through all the treatments and all that stuff. Just take us through what it's been like. Um, you know, it it's it, it not it, it haven't been a walking apart. It, it's been it's been kind of hard, you know, just trying to work through uh, all the circumstances. And you know, I think it's making me a better person, a better player, having to uh, go through it. And and you know, everybody has adversity, but it just it's really just how you uh, bounce back from it. That was Dion Bush, and uh, I think anybody that just listened to that would agree with me that that's a young man with a lot of doubt right now and you know you, I feel bad for him you know I really do you know he, he's such a potentially great football player and has you know hopefully still has a great career ahead of him at the University of Miami but uh clearly struggling right now both physically and mentally doesn't feel like he has his physical um capabilities back and that is creating a lot of self doubt and in the meantime, here's his sophomore season going by the wayside here. Um, it's already a quarter of the way over. It, it's amazing how fast these games go. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see, you know, if he gets on the field Saturday and, and if he looks a little bit big, better against USF. But even against overmatched uh, Savannah State, I didn't think Deion Bush looked real good and d- didn't look real confident and didn't look to me like a guy that – you know, Mark D'Onofrio is going to want to see out on the field with uh, any sort of the game on the line, either this Saturday or a Saturday coming up in the near future. All right, we got an open board. You're welcome to join the show. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Still so many topics that we can cover on this show. I'll keep uh, knocking them off here. Um we talked about Al Golden keeping his team focused on USF earlier in the show and how the way he's doing it is by focusing on the strengths of this USF team and how good he feels they are on defense and the fact that some of the scores that USF has had earlier in the season were compromised by turnovers um, by the Bulls. They uh, half of the t- Almost half of the touchdowns scored against South Florida have been off of their turnovers and have been defensive scores. Um, We've talked about the offense opening up and you getting to see a little bit more of this Miami offense in 2013. Could happen as soon as this week. You, you know, you got you got to see how this ball game goes. If USF is able to hang in there and, and force James Coley to open up the playbook to score points, you might see a little bit more offense this week. But there is no doubt in my mind that the heart of that playbook is being saved for that uh, gauntlet coming up. Uh, that begins the following week against Georgia Tech, then is followed by a Thursday night trip to North Carolina, a little date with Wake Forest in the middle, and then at Florida State, and then Virginia Tech at home. Those games right there in the middle of the season are going to determine what type of year Miami has, and I believe that James Coley has a ton of offense that he's saving up for those ball games. Um, Another question we had is, 
what's up with Al Golden calling out Kevin Olsen? And, you know, that was kind of surprising. And I probably should have pulled a little bit of a sound clip on that for you, for those that didn't hear it. Um, but kind of unusual for the coach to single out a true freshman like that. But he clearly is not happy with what Kevin Olsen is doing so far this year. It doesn't feel he's working hard enough, even though he clearly is going to redshirt and not play. I think the coaches would like to see him working a little bit harder to develop his game, develop the mental um, aspects of being a quarterback so that he could ch- may be a serious challenger to Ryan Williams in the spring. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, myself included, have just been assuming that Kevin Olson was going to be the front runner for that job. But Ryan Williams has taken a big step forward with his game this year. And even though he doesn't have the physical capabilities, um, even of like, say, like a Stephen Morris, uh, the physical capabilities that you would like to see from the starting quarterback at Miami, he might, at a default, end up starting next year as your starting quarterback. Um, and a lot of that could also depend on whether Brad Kaya is able to come in at midterm. Uh, we're not sure on that one yet. Uh, not sure on Malik Rozier either, whether he's going to be a midterm entry or fall entry. Uh, we'll look more into that. So a lot of will depend on who's competing at that quarterback position in spring practice. But you know, right now, if you were going to say who's the favorite to be the Miami quarterback in the 2014 season, I think you'd have to say Ryan Williams over Kevin Olson, largely because of the comments that Al Golden made this week. And uh, Kevin Olson's got to start getting uh, a little busy, and, and the coach clearly was trying to light a little bit of a fire under Kevin. We'll see how that goes here in the coming weeks. Uh, another topic that we've talked about, and again, everyone's, you know, you're welcome to call in and join in on the conversation, 646. 646- Five nine five two zero four eight six four six five nine five two zero four eight. Another topic was Philip Dorsett's slow start, and um, no question he has not been. Even though he had, a, you know, the big touchdown against the Gators, he, he hasn't really been a huge focal point of the Miami offense. But I don't think that that's anything that's that big of a deal. I, I wouldn't overreact to that at all. I, I think you know Philip Dorsett's going to make a lot of plays this year and be involved in quite a bit of passing game. I just don't think that's what Miami's been featuring here the first three weeks. And that's why uh, Philip Dorsett has been a little bit quiet in that regard and hasn't been getting a lot of balls. But I think you'll see that start to pick up here as the season goes on. Um, another question that came in from the canesport.com message boards, why does it seem like the offensive linemen are playing musical chairs the way they're switching positions back and forth? Is it impacting the rhythm of the line and the performance? Um, probably is a little bit, I would think. You know, um, I, I think that ideally you'd like to have five guys that you're focused in on and have them play in the same spot week after week and build that type of continuity. That certainly is the approach that Art Kehoe took in, in his past times at Miami. Um, but Al Golden's got a little bit of a different philosophy. Al Golden likes to have rotations. He likes to have get diff- more more guys in the game. He would love to be 10 deep on that offensive line if he could. And um, I think that's why you're seeing so much flip-flopping uh, of such uh, taking place out there. Um, not sure where it'll go as the games get tougher here. I, I would think you'll see a lot less switching You know, when you get into Georgia Tech, North Carolina, Florida State, Virginia Tech. I would have to think that they might go a little bit more with the same five guys in the same five places. But early in the season, they've been focused on building depth, versatility, and I think they've accomplished that. Even though the offensive line had a tough day against Florida, um, I think the worries about that position are a little bit overblown. I think the offensive line is going to be just fine as the season moves forward. 
Wide open board, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. we got about 12 minutes of show left. Uh, you're welcome to call in and, and, and discuss any of these topics. Um, another question came in about impact players and, and who's emerging as impact players. And um, I, I wanted to, you know, maybe like go a little bit through the depth chart here real quick and just throw out some names. I'll, I'll start on the offense. Um, I think Stacy Coley clearly is beyond his years. Uh, he had the couple drops against Florida Atlantic. Um, I think he's showing you that he can be an impact player. Um, I think even though he hasn't gotten a lot of burn yet, Philip Dorsett certainly has um, that type of physical ability. I really like what I'm seeing out of Herb Waters this year as well. So I think Miami's getting a lot of really good impact performances um, at the wide receiver position. I'm not yet ready to label anybody on the offensive line an impact player. Um, I don't think those guys have performed to that level just yet, maybe in the coming weeks. But at the tight end position, I will certainly throw out Clive Walford, who I think his stock is soaring uh, with his play so far this season. I think the NFL scouts are getting in tune to him. I think he's got a great future in this game. And and if Miami wasn't so good at the wide receiver position, I think you would hear a lot more buzz about Clive Walford because he'd be getting a lot more balls and, and putting up a lot bigger numbers. But without question, the level of his play, to me, has been at the impact level. Um, he's been outstanding. Uh, Duke Johnson's always an impact player. I don't think there's any question about that. We'll get into the defense as well, but first we're going to go out to the phone lines. And again, you can call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We're going to go out now to the 305 where you're now live on Kane Sport Live. Is that me? That's you. Hey, Gary. Uh, sorry if I uh, cover something you talked about. Just called in Not right a problem. now. Um, just want to know what you were uh, – what are you looking for the next few weeks? Um, not particularly coming up this weekend, but what do you want to see progress? Um, you know, I, I've been reading the, the articles. I see that Golden's pointing out to, you know, some uh, some people like Hamilton and you know Gilbert and you know even Sam and 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 Burns. These guys need to progress. Uh, we're gonna need them later in the season, and he knows it. I mean, with the depth that we have, this will just add to it. These young talented guys that are going to be the future breakout stars for our program. Um, I think he really knows uh, kind of this goes, you know, towards the point I was making last week. He has a plan. And it, so far it's coming to fruition, but, you know, you got to keep on grinding. Well, you know, I think we're in the calm before the storm right now. You know, uh, South Florida has the capability to challenge Miami a little bit more than people think this weekend. But the Hurricanes go and take care of business. Uh, that That should be a W. And then it's showtime, you know. Georgia Tech, that, that's that's a massive ball game. You know, Georgia Tech, um, they just beat North Carolina the other night. Uh, looking forward to watching that game this Thursday that they have against Virginia Tech. But if Georgia Tech is able to, to hold serve there and win those two games at home and beat Virginia Tech, they're in the driver's seat along with Miami uh, in the Coastal Division. And that game <laughs> the next week at Sun Life, you know, could be the whole season, you know, because if, if Georgia Tech – is able to beat Miami after beating North Carolina and Virginia Tech. Um, they're gonna, someone's going to have to beat them twice um, for the Hurricanes to be able to overtake them. So you know, and I'm going to pull up their schedule real quick right now, just to, because I don't have it committed to memory. But you know, once they get through Miami, their conference games are Syracuse at Virginia, 
and Pittsburgh. And I don't think either of those three are going to beat Georgia Tech. Now, then they have to go to Clemson, which I think will beat will beat them. But that's all, that would only be one loss. So I think that the Georgia, Georgia Tech game, but in conference. Yeah, that's not that's a different conference. So you know, I think that that Georgia Tech game could end up being the whole season if they beat Virginia Tech this week. So, you know, I think that's why you're seeing the intensity get ratcheted up a little bit by Coach Golden. He's trying to get his football team primed and ready for that game and then the ones that follow. Appreciate it. Uh, one more question. Um, you know, Stacy looked pretty good at Palmer. I'm sure you guys covered this already, but I just wanted to get your take on it. Um, just, to, you know, his response um, – Looks pretty fluid out there. Like, I don't see that explosiveness from Dorsett. I mean, even though he's really top line speed, um, I saw some you know agility from Stacy and some real confidence from that punt return. If you just want to talk about that, I, you know, I don't disagree, but I'm not overreacting or analyzing anything we saw against Savannah State. I mean, that, that kickoff return was absurd. I told somebody else earlier in the show, you should go online and find the highlight of that one play and just watch how non-competitive Savannah I'm State not, was in coverage. I feared you. I'm not even talking about I mean, everybody's going crazy over Stacey Coley as a return man, and don't get me wrong, he's great. I mean, that kid is a is a phenom and is going to have an outrageous career at Miami, and he's going to go into the NFL, and he's going to be a star in the NFL too. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, but I'm not sitting here saying Philip Dorsett can't do it either just because of that. I mean, you know, Philip Dorsett's got great speed, a lot of ability. Um, so I think they'll continue to use both. I, I think it'll work itself out. Uh, maybe Stacy Coley continues to have success against better competition and takes that job away from Philip Dorsett. Uh, we don't know, but I think that they're both extremely athletic kids with a lot of speed, and um, they could be return men for anybody in America. Yeah, you know, I guess uh, people have been pumping up, but I haven't really been listening, so I, you know, I, I would only think that I was the first person to bring it up. But I mean, no, he just looked real fast. I just want to give him some more opportunities. I mean, he looked really, really, you know, his speed was kind of electrifying. Uh, not just on the kicker turn, but on the perm turn. He made a couple, you know, quick reaction moves, which are, you know, real. Dorsett's faster. Yeah. Dorsett's faster than he is. You know, I, I yeah. like I said, I think you're going to see a lot of both of them as the passing game opens up. Um, first game as a hurricane against Florida Atlantic, James Coley did not hesitate to throw the ball to Stacy Coley. Um, you know, maybe because they have the same last name. I don't know. But, um, you know, I don't think there's any question that he's going to get plenty of action and plenty of footballs this year. Uh, everybody can see how great he can be. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, Gary. All right. Thanks for calling. Hopefully we'll hear from you again next week. we got five minutes left. You feel free to call in. We'll get you on. 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Let me uh, continue back with – we were talking about impact players, and I went through the offense. I'm going to go through the defensive depth chart now and tell you who I think – has been showing up as an impact player. And I'm going to start with Anthony Ciccolo. And I'm going to tell you why. He has been playing unbelievable football. And there's a reason why he's out there for almost every snap uh, when the game is still on the line in these ball games. And, and the key with Anthony, I think, is he stopped trying to be what everybody thought he was supposed to be and just went back to being a solid football player and doing what he's supposed to do and playing his position and and following through on the teachings of the coaches and, and what they're looking for out of him. And he's having great success. I mean, without question, 
playing the best football of his career. So, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out out to Anthony Ciccolo. Um, Curtis Porter, I think, has been very good. I'm going to wait until we see it against better competition before we start calling him an impact player. Um, I kind of like what I've seen in reserve role out of David Gilbert, although it looks to me like the coaches are trying to nurse him a little bit, and you know he really hasn't been getting a lot of reps. I think they want him for the bigger games. Uh, He's a kid that started the entire year last year for Wisconsin. They need him to show up in these games against Georgia Tech, North Carolina, uh, Florida State, Virginia Tech. Um, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of David Gilbert as the weeks um, continue. Um, Denzel Perryman. I think has been an impact level performer at linebacker. I think Jimmy Gaines is playing the best football of his career. Not sure I would call him an impact player at this point, but he's been very, very good and and very promising. Um, I think partially because of all the hype coming out of high school that a lot of people want to call Tracy Howard an impact player. Um, Obviously that interception he had against the Gators was very exciting, uh, but I'm not going to go impact um, there just yet. Um, really wouldn't go that that route with any of the defensive backs right now. You know, I don't like to throw that impact player word around so easily. I think you really got to earn that with uh, outstanding play. And, you know, I think there's still a lot more for those guys to prove. Um, three minutes of show left, 646-595-2048. If you want to be our last caller of the night, um, I'll continue on. we we're asked to talk about Duke Johnson's durability and with the way the backup running backs have been playing, are they ready to take on more of a load? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, Clements and Dallas Crawford are getting about what you want them to get. Uh, they had each had about eight or nine carries against Savannah State. Uh, I don't see that being increased. I think the guy that could get a bigger load, he had 12 carries against Savannah State, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that continue as the year goes on, is Gus Edwards. Because he's the bigger back than, in my opinion, Miami is going to need this year. Uh, you need a guy that can get that third and one. Uh, Gus is still a work in progress. He still runs a little too high. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. Um, they talk about him getting, trying to get him to get his pad level down, and that's what they mean by that. Uh, needs to learn how to run lower. Um, maybe they could put like a limbo rope up on the practice field and make him get down and get, get underneath it and learn how to get it in the end zone low. Um, but he showed you for a true freshman what kind of potential he has as a player. And um, I think you're going to see Gus Edwards start to get more burn here as the season goes on. Uh, one last question we'll get to tonight. We asked about the team buses getting police escorts all the way to Tampa. Yes, they will. If you're out over on the Alligator Alley on Friday afternoon and you hear you, you see police cars, probably with sirens whirring and about four or five buses behind them. That's the Miami Hurricanes on their way to Tampa. They will get a police escort all the way. Well, that's going to pretty much do it uh, for our show tonight, Canes fans. Um, Great show. Um, I'd like to thank everybody that called in and participated and hope you'll call back next week and we'll have even more calls talking about South Florida, looking ahead to Georgia Tech. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank Rivals.com recruiting analyst Keenan Codrington for spending about 35, 40 minutes with us tonight. Um, love the recruiting conversation. Um, Keenan's out on the streets. He, I think he brought us a lot of insight once again this week, and we'll continue to invite him to participate in this show as we move forward in the season. So time to prepare for that road trip to Tampa. 
Um, maybe I'll see some of you guys at uh, Burns Steakhouse on Friday. Planning on making a stop there. The no trip to Tampa would be complete without a dinner at Burns. Um, might even decide to check out Tampa's version of the Hard Rock on Friday night as well. So if you're hanging out at the Hard Rock and um, in Hurricane Gear, you might see me say hello to you. And uh, then we've got the early breakfast and off to the, do the pregame show and watch that 12 o'clock kickoff against South Florida. So I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight on Kane Sport Live, and we'll see you next week, Hurricane fans.